Good day, everyone. Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D., here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books, not just one scripture of the Bible. And I will be sharing commentary with you while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every scripture. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's learn Bible truth. Good day, Bible truth listeners and learners. I am Dr. Kamla D, and I truly hope today finds you well. We are embarking on episode two in this endless and timeless series entitled For Samuel. <laughs> I call it endless and timeless because First Samuel has 31 chapters and we will be reading according to what I can fit within an hour each episode. I promise myself I will not read past an hour. So during episode number one, we covered chapters one through four. Episode two, we will cover chapters five through eight. Okay. Now, if we finish chapter eight and still have about 15 minutes left, then we can cover chapter nine as well. And I am continuing to read from the NIV, the New International Version. That doesn't mean that I will read from the NIV throughout this entire series. I can assure you I will be switching up sooner or later. But I chose to continue to read using the NIV today. Okay? So I hope you guys are in... 1 Samuel chapter 5. Now, I chose not to give a recap of episode 1 on purpose. I just hope you are following the series, okay? Now, I am commencing at verse 1 in chapter 5. After the Philistines, or Philistines, it doesn't matter, both pronunciations are correct. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Verse 2. Then they carried the ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. Now Dagon is a Canaanite deity that was worshipped by the Philistines who are Canaanites. They come from the family or the genealogy of Ham. The Philistines are black people. God never mentions their, their skin color. And I need you to understand that he had an issue with them because they were enemies of the Israelites and they worshiped idol gods. This is the mention of their idol God, which is Dagon. It's a handmade statue, golden statue representing their God. Okay. It is just a statue. They worshiped a deity that was associated with fertility. 
Dagon was the primary god of the Philistine people with the torso, arms, head, uh, and, and, and head of a man and the lower body of a fish. Can you imagine that? He was worshipped as the father of Baal. Okay. That is associated with a demon. Okay. Now, <laughs> uh, you wonder why God took issue with people outside of Israel is because they worshipped idol gods. That's why. And he did not want his people who worship the true and living God, which is the God who created the heavens and the earth. He didn't want them associated with people who worship demons. Okay. Uh, verse three, when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon falling on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. Now I should have given a recap of episode one for those of you who are tuning in for the first time um, so that you can understand what we are reading or you can, after this episode, go back and listen to the entire episode uh, where I covered chapters one through four. But just for a small recap, um, the Philistines had attacked uh, the Israelites and they had captured the Ark of the Covenant of God and put it in their idol God's temple. Okay. So that is what we are talking about. Now the Ark of the Covenant of God was a gold chest that had the Mosaic laws inside, which is the basis of the covenant of God between uh, Moses and the children of Israel. God gave the laws of Moses to give to the children of Israel. And that was the basis of his covenant with those children. And they weren't following the laws. Okay. So that ark, which contained God's covenant with, with Israel was captured by the Philistines and placed in their pagan temple. That is where we are. Um, let me read verse three again. When the people of Ashtar rose early the next day, there was Dagon, their pagan God, their statue fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. Verse four. But the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon falling on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His head and hands were broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. Verse 5. That is why to this day neither the priest of Dagon nor any others who entered Dagon's temple at Ashdod stepped on the threshold. The threshold, you guys, if who don't know, is a metal piece on the floor that that um separates, let's say, an entryway before you actually go into the building. Okay? Uh verse 6. The Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod and its vicinity. He brought devastation on them and afflicted them with tumors. Oh my. Verse seven. When the people of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not stay here with us because his hand is heavy on us and on Dagon, our God with a little G. Now, this is a question 
uh, I'm going to digress for a second that I'm going to ask each and every one of you who are listening. Why would you worship something handmade and it can't do anything for you? Because apparently the God of Israel was too powerful for their deity and couldn't help them. So why would you worship an idol God who can't do anything for you versus the true and living God who obviously created the heavens, the earth, the dirt, the water, the moon, the stars, the entire atmosphere. But you would worship something handmade, made by man. Unbelievable to me. But that's what was going on here. And I'm going to take it a step further. That is what was going on throughout the entire Old Testament. Turning your backs on God and worshiping idol gods. People or things made with, with human hands. And God has an issue with that. Verse 8. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and asked them, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, have the ark of the God of Israel moved to Gath. So they moved the ark of the God of Israel. Verse 9. But after they had moved it, the Lord's hand was against that city. Throwing it into a great panic, he afflicted the people of the city, both young and old, with an outbreak of tumors. Yes, yes, young and old, because you got to remember, if you are completely cut off from God, um, you are su subject to anything, including your children. Your children will suffer as a result of your actions. Okay. And y'all need to understand that God, they have some people that say, because I have conversations all the time with leaders and, and in my studies about um, the God of the Old Testament doesn't appear to be the God who is full of grace and mercy of the New Testament. No, it is the same God. You have to remember that in the Old Testament, they were under judgment. In the New Testament, Christians are under grace and mercy. Now, God showed Israel mercy consistently. They continued to turn away from God, meaning cutting themselves off from God, leaving themselves open to all of this judgment. Okay, to all of this judgment. Now, let me read verse nine again if I didn't read it. But after they had moved it, the Lord's hand was against that city, throwing it into a great panic. He afflicted the people of the city, both young and old, with an outbreak of tumors. Verse 10. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. As the ark of God was entering Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out. They had brought the ark of God of, of the God of Israel around to us to kill us and our people. They knew what was happening. Verse 11. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and said, send the ark of God of the God of Israel away. Let it go back to its own place or it will kill us and our people. For death had filled the city with panic. God's hand was very heavy on it. People against his people. Okay. Verse 12. Those who did not die were afflicted with tumors and the outcry of the city went up to heaven. Now this is unique. They, although their pagan God was Dagon, 
their outcry went up to the God of heaven, which is the God of Israel, which is the God of Christians today. Their outcry went up to the true and living God. So I want to ask you this question. Why didn't they cry out to their God? You know why? Because he was pagan. He, he really doesn't exist and couldn't do anything for them. Couldn't do anything for them. Now we are entering chapter six, verse one. When the ark of the Lord had been in Philistine territory seven months, it was there for seven months. Verse two, the Philistines called for the priest and the diviners and said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it back to its place. Now they were talking about their pay, their priest in their pagan temple, not the priest of the true and living God. You have to remember that Samuel was the prophet back in those days, the biblical days, meaning the old Testament, Israel was a theocracy. Um, they had men of God as rulers as uh, overseers of the nation, they had a prophet who communicated to them uh, the word of God and they had priests. They had a high priest and they had priests who worked in the temple. If you can recall, Eli was the high priest and his son, two sons were priests, but they died. So right now it's just Samuel. So when this talks about the Philistines consulted with uh, priests and diviners. They are talk talking about mediums, Miss Cleo, but they are also talking about the priest who worked in their temple, not the real and true priest that God had implemented from the priest of Levi, meaning the uh, Levitical priesthood, not talking about them. Okay. Verse three, they answered, if you return the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it back to him without a gift. By all means, send a guilt offering to him. Then you will be healed and you will know why his hand has not been lifted from you. Verse four, the Philistines asked, what guilt offering should we send to him? They replied, five gold tumors and five gold rats, according to the number of the Philistine rulers, because the same plague has struck both you and your rulers. Now, um, it was common in that time among the pagan nations to make a representation of the part of the, the body that had been healed, okay, or of the danger from which one had been delivered. And offer it to the God or to their God as a gesture of thanksgiving. I'm trying to explain it to where uh, you guys can understand that. Now, uh, let's pick up at verse 5. Make models of the tumors and of the rats that are destroying the country. And give glory to God's Israel. Perhaps he will lift his hand from you and your gods and your land. Now, when it says to give glory to the God of Israel, this is the Philistines acknowledging that the God of Israel is superior, far more superior than their uh, or than their pagan God. OK, and that is very important <laughs> for us today. Um, verse six. Why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh did? Now, why is they saying, why did you, why are you hardening your heart? Because they still didn't want to do that. They still didn't want to do that. 
um, verse six again, why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh did when Israel's God dealt harshly with them? Did they not send the Israelites out so they could go on their way? Verse seven. Now then get a new cart, get a new cart ready with two cows that have calved and have never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart, but take their calves away and pin them up. Verse eight, take the ark of the Lord and put it on the cart and in a chest beside it, put the gold objects you are sending back to him as a guilt offering. Okay. Mm. They Now there's a lot of rituals they're going through. We don't, and trust me, I thank God for Jesus. We don't have to do any of that. Um, verse nine, but keep watching it. If it goes up to its own territory toward Beth Shemesh, then the Lord has brought this great disaster on us. But if it does not, then we will know that it was not his hand that struck us, but that it happened to, to us by chance. Boy, they try, <laughs> that's how you know their diviners and their priests had no clue what was happening to them and why. They are trying to figure this out. Uh, verse 10. So they did this. They took two such cows and hitched them to the cart and pinned up their calves. Verse 11, they placed the ark of the Lord on the cart and along with it, the chest containing the gold rats and the models of the tumors. Verse 12, then the cows went straight up toward Beth Shemesh, keeping on the road and lowering all the way. They did not turn to the right or to the left. The rulers of the Philistines followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Now, um, the border of Beth Shemesh was about 12 miles from the Philistine city of Ekron. Okay, that uh, these cows go 12 miles, taking the most direct route, not turning to the right or to the left, is a miracle great enough to convince the Philistines that their troubles are from the hand of the God of Israel. Okay, you guys get that? Now, let's pick up at uh, verse 11. Now, the people of, the, of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley. And when they looked up and saw the ark, they rejoiced at the sight. Verse 14, the cart came to the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh, and there it stopped beside a large rock. The people chopped up the wood of the cart and sacrificed the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. Verse 15, the Levites, hallelujah, took down the ark of the Lord together with the chest containing the gold objects and placed them on the Lord's rock. On that day, the people of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord. Verse 16, the five rulers of the Philistines saw all this and then returned that same day to Ekron. But they was mad. Oh, yeah, they were mad. Uh, verse 17. These are the gold tumors the Philistines sent as a guilt offering to the Lord, one each. For Ashdod, Gaza, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. Verse 18. And the number of the gold rats were according to the number of the Philistine towns belonging to the five rulers, the uh, fortified towns with their country villages. 
the large rock on which the Levites set the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. Verse 19. But God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they looked into the ark of the Lord. The people mourned because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. Verse 20, and the people of Beth Shemesh asked, who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God, to whom will the ark go up from here? Verse 21, then they sent messengers to the people of Cariot Jerem, saying, the Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to your town. Chapter seven, we are moving along just fine, uh, saints. Verse one, so the men of Cariot Jerem came and took up the ark of the Lord. They brought it to Abinadad's house on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to guard the ark of the Lord. Verse two, the ark remained at Cariot Jerem a long time, 20 years in all. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. That's the key. They had turned away from the Lord. That's why God allowed all of this to happen to them. Uh, you got to listen again. Um, the latter part of verse two, then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. Verse three. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods. And the asterisks, meaning demons that they were, that the foreign gods uh, represent and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, this is called repentance. That's what this is called. It's called repentance today. When you turn away from your foreign gods and worship the true and living God through Christ Jesus today. Back then, they kept leaving the covenant that God established with them through Moses. Okay? And every time they left that covenant, they separated themselves from God. They cut themselves off from God. And terrible things happened to the Israelites. And Samuel is telling them. Now, this is how merciful God is. He kept taking them back. Every time they cried out to the Lord. He kept taking them back, but we are getting ready to read some scriptures coming up where God said he ain't going to listen to them anymore. When they cry out to them for help, he's not going to answer them. Mm hmm. Oh, yes. We serve a merciful God, but he knows when to just cut you off because he knows your heart. He knows your heart is evil. Now, back then, the true heart of man was evil. But today, the love of God is shared abroad in our hearts by Christ Jesus. Okay, now let's pick up at verse four. So the Israelites put away their bells and asterisks and serve the Lord only. What I told you what the asterisks was. They were pagan gods that represented demons. Okay. That's what Baal is or Baal, B-A-A-L. It's either Baal or Baal. Okay. Um, verse five. Then Samuel said 
assemble all Israel at mitzvah and I will intercede with the Lord for you. Verse six, when they had assembled at mitzvah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. Water is also a sign of repentance. When they drew water and they poured it out, you know, it, it was a symbol of distress and brokenness because they knew that they had defied the Lord and they knew that they had turned their backs on the Lord. Okay. Um, the latter part of verse six on that day, they fasted and there they confessed. We have sinned against the Lord. That's the key to repentance. Admitting that you have sinned against the Lord. And that's how we repent today. Father God, I know that I have sinned against you. I repent of those sins right now. And I thank you that the blood of Jesus has washed all of my sins away. That's how we repent today. But you specify the sin you committed. That's what you do. And that's what, what, what basically they did. But uh, this is general saying that we have sinned against the Lord. Uh, let me continue. Uh, now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mitzvah. Verse 7. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mitzvah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. Now after what had just happened to the Philistines, and uh, I don't think I would have decided uh, or met and had a conversation about attacking Israel again. Would you? But see, these people were something else. But you got to remember, they were worshiping the devil. And see, the devil could care less. He's already defeated. And these people know what God had done to both young and old people of their nation or their cities. Gave them tumors. And the ones that didn't die were sick as a dog. And they still trying to plan an attack on Israel. But listen to what happens now. Verse seven again. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mitzvah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. Verse eight. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord, our God for us that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Verse nine. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf and the Lord answered him. Verse 10. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to the, to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered, with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. Verse 11, the men of Israel rushed out of Mitzvah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below Beth Car. Verse 12, then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mitzvah and Shin. He named it Ebenezer saying, thus far, the Lord has helped us. Verse 13. So the Philistines were subdued and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. Verse 14. This is very important. Pay close attention to verse 14. 
the towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel. And Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites at that time. Verse 15, Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. Verse 16, from year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mitzvah, judging Israel in all those places. Verse 17, but he always went back to Ramah where his home was. And there he also held court for Israel and he built an altar there to the Lord. Now, Samuel, because Eli wasn't uh, alive anymore and neither were his crooked sons who were acting as priests, was the only judge for Israel during his, his time after Eli and his sons died. Um, now we are getting ready to read uh, chapter eight, we might be able to finish, uh, chapter nine because we have a lot of time left. We have, um, actually 32 minutes left. Verse one, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leader, not priest. They were judges over Israel along with Samuel. But I want you to pay close attention. They were not like their father, Samuel. Oh, you got to be careful who you appoint to be over people. You have to be very careful. Verse two, the name of his, his firstborn was Joel and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Be Beersheba. Okay. But his sons did not follow his ways. Mm -mm. They were as crooked as a line drawn on the street by a drunk. Oh, yes. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice, meaning you can buy them. If uh, someone went to court and they were guilty, all they had to do was give them money and they would say not guilty. Let them go and put those criminals back on the street. No, they were not honest and just like their father, Samuel. Uh, verse four. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. Now, this is where we are getting ready to find out why and how Israel ended up with their first king. Okay. And in today's time, we call presidents in some nations. We have kings in others and we have presidents in others. Uh, the United States did not exist along with a, a bunch of other nations did, did not exist during this time. But today we have presidents and we are getting ready to go into some chartered territories as to why we have corrupt leaders today and how Israel, especially Israel, ended up with a king. Mm -hmm. And how it angered God that they requested a king. Verse five, they said to him, him who Samuel, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. See, Israel was a theocracy. They didn't have kings or presidents. They had men of God overseeing Israel and judging Israel. 
And as long as they were connected to God and worshiping the true and living God, Israel was fine. They were fine. It was when they turned their backs on God, no matter how many times they did it, God cut them off. And we are reading why they asked for a king because Samuel's two sons were crooked. And Israel always had battle on their hearts. They wanted to fight the Philistines. Okay. Whoever wanted to attack them, they were interested in fighting. Okay. They weren't interested in worshiping God. They kept forgetting God, the uh, trouble that God pulled them out of all the way back to when Pharaoh had enslaved the Israelites. Okay. They were in Egyptian slavery or Egyptian bondage. And God sent Moses to deliver them. They forgot about all that. See, we can't forget about the Lord today, people. I don't care what trouble you have fallen in or you may fall in in the future. As long as we are on this planet, you are going to have trials and tribulations. That's Bible. But God will deliver us out of them all. You understand? Never turn your back on God. Verse six. This is getting ready to get very interesting. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, verse seven, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. They didn't reject Sam Samuel because he was a man of God. They rejected God once again. Now it's getting ready to get deep. Verse eight. As they have done from the day I brought them out up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you other gods. They want to worship a king, a human being. God didn't ordain that. Mm -mm. God is not pleased with this as we are reading verse nine. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know. What the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights, not the rights God has given the king, but what the king is going to claim as his rights for being king. God didn't give the king those rights. He didn't give presidents th these rights that they are claiming. They gave it to themselves. You will never read in the Bible where God gave kings the right to do these things to people. Okay, uh, let's read verse nine again, because this is very important. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Verse 10, Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for the king or for a king. Verse 11, he said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. Listen to all of this. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Verse 12, some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. Verse 13, he will take your daughters to be perfumers, many make perfume and cooks and bakers basically enslaving them. Verse 14, he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive grove groves and give them to his attendants. Verse 15, he will take a 10th of your grain of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Verse 16, 
your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys, he will take for his own use. Verse 17, he will take a tenth of your flocks and you, and you yourselves will become his slaves. Verse 18, when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But check this out. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Mm-mm. How dare you choose a human being over God? How dare you? That is basically what Samuel is saying. Verse 19. But the people refused to listen to Samuel saying no. They said we want a king over us. Verse 20. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. That's all they were worrying about was fighting against other nations. This is not God wanting to, to implement war to resolve issues. Mm -mm. This, not God. this is the people. Every time they went out to battle and God was on their sides, they won and didn't lose not one soldier. Uh-uh. And they keep forgetting every time God deliver them, just like some of us do, do today. Yeah, some of us do today. We forget about God who delivered us out of our trials and tribulations and delivered us out of those chartered and troubled waters. Mm -mm. Don't you ever turn your back on God. Now, the children of Israel today, when we read the Old Testament today, is an example of what we should never do. Not what we should follow, but what we should never do. Verse 21, when Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. Verse 22, the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Go ahead, give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. And we do have time to read chapter nine. Okay. All right. Chapter nine is a little longer. Uh, than the uh, previous chapters we read, but let's see if we can get through it. Verse one, there was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphria of Benjamin. Verse two, Kish had a son named Saul as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than everyone else, meaning Saul was a little tall. Okay. Verse three. Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish were lost. And Kish said to his son, Saul, take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. Verse four. So he passed through the hill, the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around Shalisha, but they did not find them, them who the donkeys, they went on into the district of Shalim, but the donkeys were not there. Then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but they did not find them. Verse five, when they reached the district of Zuf, Saul said to the servant who was with him, come, let's go back. Or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. Verse six. But the servant replied, look in this town. There is a man of God. He's referring to Samuel. He is highly respected and everything he says comes true. That's how you know if it is a prophet from God. If that which the prophet says comes to pass, it came from God. 
but that which the prophet says that does not come to pass. And especially if what he says is going to happen, uh, something contrary happens. He truly ain't speaking of God and that's Bible. Okay. Um, the latter part of verse six, he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us what, uh, what way to take verse seven. Saul said to his servant, if we go, what can we give the man? The food in our sacks is gone. We have no gift to take to, to the man of God. What do we have? Verse eight, the servant answered him again. Look, he said, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God so that he will tell us what way to take. Verse nine, formerly in Israel, if someone went to inquire of God, they would say, come, let us go to the seer. That is what they were called uh, in, in the past, a seer, because the prophet of today used to be called a seer. Okay, verse 10. Good, Saul said to his servant, come, let us go. So they set out for the town where the man of God was. Um, verse 11. As they were going up the hill to the town, they met some young women coming out to draw water and they asked them, is the seer here? Verse 12, he is, they answered, he's ahead of you. Hurry now, he has just come to our town today for the people have a sacrifice at the high place. Verse 13, as soon as you enter the town, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. The people will not begin eating until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Go up now. You should find him about this time. Verse 14. They went up to the town and as they were entering it, there was Samuel coming toward them on his way up to the high place. Verse 15. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. Verse 16. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. You see how all those things were put in motion so Samuel could meet Saul? Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people for their cry has reached me. Verse 17. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, this is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. Verse 18. Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, would you please tell me where the seer's house is? Verse 19, I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me. And in the morning, I will send you on your way and will tell you all that is in your heart. Verse 20, as for the donkeys you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. They have been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and your whole family line? Verse uh, 21. Let me uh, explain to you uh, just a little bit about that. The desire of Israel for a king is, is what they were talking about. Now, Benjamin was the youngest of Jacob's 12 sons. And his tribe had also been severely reduced in number at a battle with all the other tribes of Israel because of the terrible sin committed in the Benjamite city of Gibeah. Okay. Now I don't want to get uh, too far off into that. 
But um, we are getting ready to read about that. I just thought I'd share that so we can kind of rush through here since we got 17 minutes left. Verse 21, Saul answered, but am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of, of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Mm. Okay. Verse 22. Then Samuel brought Saul and his servant into the hall and seated them at the head of those who were invited about 30 in number. Verse 23. Samuel said to the cook, bring the piece of meat I gave you, the one I told you to lay aside. Verse 24. So the cook took up the thing with what was on it and set it in front of Saul. Samuel said, here is what has been kept for you. Eat because it was set aside for you for this occasion from the time I said, I have invited guests. And Saul dined with Samuel that day, verse 25. After they came down from the high place to the town, Samuel talked with Saul on the roof of his house. Verse 26, they rose about daybreak and Samuel called to Saul on the roof, get ready and I will send you on your way. When Saul got ready, he and Samuel went outside together. Verse 27, as they were going down to the edge of the town, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And the servant did so. But you stay here for a while so that I may give you a message from God. I know Saul was about to pass out. You hear me? Just pass out. I think we got time to cover chapter 10. Uh, chapter 10, verse one, then Samuel took a flash of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him saying, has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Verse two, when you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb. Rachel actually was a shepherdess and you know what shepherdess represent pastors. Yes. And Rachel is a female. We're not reading about her today, but I thought I'd throw it out there because we will eventually get to that. At Zelza on the border of Benjamin, they will say to you, the donkeys you sent out to look for have been found. And now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, what shall I do about my son? Verse three, then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to worship God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. Verse 4, they will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. Verse 5, after that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine or Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, pipes, and harps being played before them. And they will be prophesying. Verse six, the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them and you will be changed into a different person. Mm. When the spirit of the Lord comes before you, and I have said this before, you cannot come in contact with Christ and be the same. You are a liar if you are the exact same person you used to be before meeting the Lord. Mm -mm. You have to change. And this is proof right here. One of the proofs, even in the Old Testament right here. What did Samuel tell Saul? The spirit of the Lord will come powerful, 
powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them and you will be changed into a different person. Verse seven, once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do for God is with you at that time. Verse eight, go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to, to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. Verse nine, as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. See, that's where the change coming at. Not your physical appearance. Your heart has to be changed for you to be someone who represents people and someone whom God chooses. He changes your heart. Okay. Let me read verse nine again. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart and all these signs were fulfilled that day. Now, if Saul was a good, good person, why did God have to change his heart? I want you to think about that as we move through these uh, verses and chapters. Verse 10, when he and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him, just like Samuel said, the spirit of God came powerful, powerfully upon him and he joined in their prophesying. Verse 11, when all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, what is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Verse 12, a man who lived there answered, and who is their father? So it became a saying, is Saul also among the prophets? Verse 13, after Saul stopped prophesying, he went to the high place. Verse 14, now Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, where have you been? Looking for the donkeys, he said. But when he saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. Verse 15, Saul's uncle said, tell me what Samuel said to you. Verse 16, Saul replied, he assured us that the donkeys had been found. But he did not tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. Uh-huh. He didn't tell his uncle that uh, Samuel told him, Saul, that he was going to be king over Israel. Verse 17, Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mitzvah. Verse 18, and said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt. And I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. Verse 19. But you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. Didn't I tell y'all that uh, not too long ago? And you have said no upon a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. Verse 20, when Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by lot. Verse 21, then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin clan by clan and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul's son, Saul's son of Kish was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. Verse 22, so they inquired further of the Lord. Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. Verse 23, they ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. So remember, I said Saul was very tall. Verse 24, Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? 
There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, long live the king. Verse 25, Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people to go to their own home. In Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. Verse 27 and the last verse in chapter 10. But some scoundrels, meaning lowest of the lowest humans, said, How can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts, but Saul kept silent. Now, I'm going to stop here. We read more chapters than I anticipated, which is good because that means it will shorten this, the series. But I want to um, mention that uh, what we just read in these, uh, what we covered, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten chapters. We read six chapters instead of four that uh, the people asked for a king. Now, God was their king as long as they were with God and following the covenant of God, which were written in the laws of Moses. They were fine, but they didn't want to do that. They didn't. They kept turning their own ways because deep down they knew that their God, the true and living God, the God of Israel, the God who created the heavens and the earth would pull them out and rescue them out of any situation they fell in. But let me tell you something, there will come a time and there did come a time in uh, the Old Testament where, where the children of Israel didn't hear from God for 400 years mm -hmm. because they kept turning their backs on God. And God said, I got to teach him a lesson, but we are under grace today. Hallelujah. So with that said, keep in mind, we are still in the middle of a serious pandemic. We have spikes occurring in every country. And especially in the United States, because that is where I am from. That is where my concern lies. I also um, have compassion for my brothers and sisters in other countries. Uh, however, I live in America. Please take this pandemic seriously. We cannot stop the spread unless we follow the guidelines. Okay. So far, God has taken care of his people that are listening to him and following the guidelines. Wear your mask if you are out in public. Practice social distancing, which means physical distancing between six to eight feet away from people. And I promise you that this pandemic will start to subside. Uh, cases will start to decrease. And that is what we want, right? Because no one in their right mind want to see a pandemic continue to spread and take out as many people as it can. And look, guys, I, I'm praying for you. Continue to pray for me. Uh, pray for peace. Pray for a peaceful transition in the White House. Um, the people spoke. God spoke. Uh, Trump was fired. And he has to vacate the White House by 12 noon on January the 20th. Now, um, the people spoke, the people voted Trump out of office and he has to leave. But this is what happens when you deal with a narcissist, a narcissist refused to take no for an answer. And it's so unfortunate to see America being disgraced at this time. We have been disgraced for four years and, uh, God heard the cries of his people. 
the Christians in America and throughout this entire world, because we have sisters and brothers everywhere uh, that cried out for him to remove Trump. And I am one of them. I had no doubt in my mind or heart that God would remove him. I had no doubt. So I knew it would happen, but I also knew he would act a fool like he's acting right now. I knew this. So I'm asking you, those who supported him, how come you didn't see this coming? I saw it coming. A lot of other people saw it coming. Millions of people voted to have him removed. And unfortunately, millions of people supported him. But let me tell you something. Not everybody who is a Republican went behind that curtain and voted for Trump. No, uh, -uh. they had people putting on the front because they scared of people. I'm not I'm not afraid of no man. And they represented Trump out in the open. But when they went behind that curtain, they said, ain't no way in the world I'm casting a vote for him. I have to join the millions who who plan to vote him out. And that's what they did. So with that said, people, uh, tomorrow we will cover chapters 11, 12, 13 and 14 and maybe 15, whatever I can cover within an hour. It could be more. So I want you guys to continue to pray for peace. And until tomorrow, which is Sunday, peace out. All right. I hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, please send your questions to trustgod55.cd at gmail.com. Or you can send me a direct message by clicking on the message button located on my podcast, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public, and submit your remarks. You can also support my podcast financially by accessing all my podcasts and clicking on the support this podcast button. Whatever you choose to donate will be greatly appreciated. I am praying for God to give you a return on your seed. Praise God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, as it relates to sowing a seed, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Hallelujah. Now, God will give you a return on your seed as long as you sow your seed in good ground with a cheerful heart. The key is having a cheerful heart. Now, until next time, brothers and sisters, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D, rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. I thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.